Praise the Lord, everyone. Would you lift your hands for just a moment and would you worship the Lord with me tonight? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. I know tonight that there are a lot of people in this grand ballroom. And I'm going to ask those of you at the back of this auditorium tonight not to move in and out, but to find a seat and to please stay there. I will say it again. I want all of you to find a seat and to please stay there. The Holy Ghost is in this place tonight. Though I will not give this camp meeting over to this particular theme, tonight I want to deal with prophecy. And I want you to pray because I will probably say some things that will be very startling to you. Things that perhaps you've not thought of before and maybe never heard before. But we are at the end. And what we do for God, we're going to have to do it quickly. This is the hour to get with the program. If you're ever going to live for God, now is the time to live for him. I want to read tonight from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and also from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 39. I feel a tremendous burden in my soul tonight. There is a verse of scripture in the Hebrew language that says, Sha'alu et shalom Yerushalayim ve'eretz ha'kodesh. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the Holy Land. In the book of Genesis, chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now I want you to look at this closely. God himself is speaking to Abram, who became Abraham, the father of the faithful. And God said to Abram, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. It is one of the most powerful 
pronouncements by God himself that you will find in the entirety of the Holy Scriptures. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 39, beginning at verse 25, the Bible says in Ezekiel 39 and verse 25, some 585 years before the birth of Christ, after the kingdom, shall we call it, of Israel had been divided into Israel and Judah, and now Israel has fallen in the north and Judah has fallen in the south. But I want you to look at what the Lord says to the remnants of the house of Israel. It's interesting for me to note that if the southern kingdom of Judah had not fallen in about 588 B.C., Jesus of Nazareth would have been born a crown prince. But when he was born, his earthly kingdom had been destroyed. But he was a royal prince from the house of David. But I want you to look at what God said to the remnant. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name after that they have borne their shame and all the trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwell safely in their land and none made them afraid when I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. I want to entitle this tonight... There is no such thing as Arab unity. Would you lift your hands and your voices and would you pray sincerely with me for a moment? Lord Jesus, tonight, I thank you for the presence and power of God that is in this place. I praise you for this momentous time in history. For now we stand, O oh God, in the very hours of the setting of the sun upon the horizon of man's existence. And I am praying tonight, O oh Lord, that you will help us. For we are being ushered into an era that may change the course of our lives forever. It happened like this over 40 years ago, and we have never been the same. Tonight, I pray for the anointing of God and the quickening of the Spirit of the Lord upon my mind and upon my heart. To speak what thus saith the Lord. We will not fail to give you praise and glory. I'm asking tonight that you will anoint these lips of clay to speak as the literal oracle of the Lord. And God upon this congregation there will rest an anointing. And O oh Lord that they will understand with understanding that is anointed by thee. And with a spirit of revelation that the glory of your word will come in upon us, that we will not be afraid, but that we will lift our hearts in exaltation and adoration in praise 
to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. We give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Can you give me more treble and a lot less bass so that my voice doesn't rumble in this auditorium? You may be seated. And would you clap your hands for the Lord? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, let's really do it for a moment and pull ourselves together in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, I praise you tonight for the anointing that is in this place and for the urgency of this hour. I praise you. In Jesus' blessed and wonderful name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hitler is dead. Eichmann is dead. Goebel is dead. Rommel is dead. But the devils that possess them are not dead. The Nazi party seemingly crumbled. But the same devils came back with a new name and a new face, communism. Now we have seen the coming down of the, of the Berlin Wall. But the same devils have come back with a new name and a new face, Saddam Hussein. The same tyrannical dictatorial power same kind of goals, same ruthlessness, same spirit, different names, different faces, same hatred of the Jews, same determination to annihilate them, to totally wipe them out. Hitler had it, the communists had it, Hussein's got it, same devil. So what I'm saying tonight is that this war that is being fought is not a political war. It is a battle between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. It is a spiritual confrontation unlike anything we have ever heretofore engaged in. And you can feel the trauma in the air. You can feel the tremendous mysteriousness about this particular situation that we are involved in. It is interesting for me to note that God told the Jews, Abraham and his posterity for all time, those that bless you I will bless, and those that curse you I will curse. Is it not interesting to note that when World War II ended, Germany was divided? Judgments of God fell upon those people, upon their nation. Their capital city was divided. And half of Germany, at least, lived under the tyranny of communism for over 40 years. It was judgment from the hand of God against those who dared to touch the apple of his eye. Same God as in the Old Testament. The same judgments. He sets them up and he sets them down. Men are just puppets in the hands of God. 
They don't control these things. God controls these things. And when he's done with them, they are wiped out like a candle in the wind. You saw what happened to the communist dictators in Europe. When God was done with them, they killed them and their bodies lay on the streets like common criminals. But they had reigned in supremacy and tyranny and debauchery and ruthlessness. Thinking that they were practically immortal and invincible. But when God is finished, he is finished. And none can alter his hand nor the sound of his voice. None. It's incredible to watch. Incredible to watch. I've heard this over and over again. And I'm sure you have too. We as United Pentecostal Church, we have revival in every nation in the world. Every country in the world has had some touch of God, some revival. Even the islands of the sea. But there is no revival in Europe. None. None. A year and a half ago, it's been now, one of our missionaries from Germany called me. I happened to be home. His voice came on my answering service. He said, Brother Stone King, we've been listening to your tapes. I must talk with you. I picked up the phone and I said, I'm here. He said, Brother Stone King, he said, we want revival in Germany. He said, we want revival. We need something to happen. And I listened to him for a while. And he said, can you help us? I said, yes, I can. Yes, I can help you. I said, there will never be revival in Germany. Until the Germans repent of what they did to the house of Israel. I said, I don't care how much money we send you, or what great names we send to you, or what great evangelists come there. There will not be revival in Germany or Europe until they repent of what they have done to the house of Israel. I said, because God said, those that bless you, I will bless, and those that curse you, I will curse and I could feel his voice begin to tremble I said my advice to you is to assume the spirit of Daniel and place yourself in the position of a Nazi and go to God and beg God on behalf of the German people for forgiveness for their sins against the house of Israel and God peradventure will hear you and if he does There'll be a break. There will be a break. He said, Brother talking. I've never thought of that before. He said, I see what you're saying. And to show you that there are others who agree with me, I have in my files at home a letter, photographs. There are denominational preachers in Germany, and there are rabbis and leaders in Germany who came to grips with what I've just told you, and they held a convocation in Germany, one of the major cities, and they marched through the streets in a procession to a church and had a prayer, like an ecumenical prayer session, to ask God to forgive them for what they had done to the house of Israel. And there were Jewish rabbis present. There's a little something going on in France. Brother Navaki has the best thing going in Europe as far as I can understand. 
But France was not as intricately involved in the destruction of the house of Israel as were the other nations. If you look where the judgments of God came through, through Germany, behind that iron curtain is Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, and Poland. And those countries are poverty-stricken today. They are poor, poor. They live in practically nothing. Is it coincidence that for the last 300 years, while America has flourished, Europe has withered? Why? I want you to understand tonight that the Jews are responsible exclusively for all atomic research. Einstein gave us the formula for the atomic bomb. He gave us the mathematical equations of relativity and general relativity. He was a Jew. I can take you to the Yad Vashem Memorial in Jerusalem and show you the letter. You have seen it. Others here have been to Israel with me have seen it. I can show you the letter where Germany refused Albert Einstein's citizenship in Germany because he was a Jew. They overlooked his brilliant mind, his tremendous potential. They overlooked everything about him because he was a Jew and they excluded him from their society and they asked him to leave their country. And Einstein, Albert Einstein, came to America and America took him in. Hence, America received the brilliance and the fruit of this brilliant mind and leader. And America ended up with the mathematical equations and the formula for the atomic bomb. Thus, America became one of the superpowers of the earth because America dared to bless a Jew who was an outcast in the eyes of Hitler and his cohorts. If Hitler had not thrown Einstein out, Germany would be a superpower today. But because we bless them, the Jews, God has blessed this country. He has blessed America. He has blessed us. I could preach you an entire sermon. No ethnic group, no race, no creed, no people anywhere in all of human history have made as many contributions to the cause of human society as have the Jews. Radio, science, mathematics, show business, music, art, culture, medicine, they are at the top in everything. Because there is a mental hygiene that has been passed down from generation to generation because they believe in the greatest truth in the entirety of the whole Bible. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They are not corrupted as are the heathens who worship two or three or half a dozen or millions of God. The greatest understanding a mortal can ever come to is the fact that there is only one God. That there is only one God. And we know tonight His name to be Jesus Christ of Nazareth. God, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace. There shall never ever be an end. And we know Him. We know Him. We know Him. We know Him tonight. Oh, clap your hands. Wave a hand. Lift your voice. Dance before Him with thanksgiving. For such a blessing, for such a revelation. Hallelujah.
Aleluia! 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 Brother McClintock leaned over to me tonight. He said, Brother Stone King, he said, where? Where is America? In Bible prophecy. I said, well, I'm going to touch on that tonight. And so here it is. I've heard a lot of teaching in the years I've been in Pentecost. I've heard that America is the lion's whelp, the offshoot or the child of the British Commonwealth. And there are a lot of things that can be said about that. And it seems applicable. But for me, America is a haven for the Jews. America has been the place where the Jews could recover themselves for the long and arduous years of diaspora and wandering throughout the nations of the world where they were unwanted. America is the only nation in the world that can boast that we have never had an official ghetto or an expulsion of Jews from our borders in all of our history. No major European country can make such a boast. None. America is the only country in the world where Jews have not been persecuted. They believe that Christopher Columbus was a Jew. His first letters on the discovery of this country were written not to King Ferdinand and Isabel of Spain, but to two Jewish friends. The first settlers to come to New Amsterdam, which is now New York City, were Jews. If we are correct, if my sources are accurate, then America is a Jewish discovery. America is a place where the Jews have been able to live, pull their culture together, and get finance to provide the restoration of the nation of Israel. Harry Truman was the president at the time that the UN voted for the partition in Palestine. Harry Truman, seconds after the vote was taken, officially declared and recognized Israel as a nation. And when the top rabbis from Jerusalem came to Washington, D.C., and he came into President Harry Truman's office, and he said to him, he said, your mother gave birth to you that you would be the one to help bring about the birth of the nation of Israel. And Harry Truman, as hard as he was, and as crude as he was, wept at the words of a Jewish rabbi. America is safe as long as we support Israel. We are safe as long as we back her. Reagan knew that, and I trust that Bush knows it. Reagan knew it. This thing that we're in tonight was not done in a corner. Pentecostal think that we're just, you know, one of those forgotten people, those obscure peoples that somehow are across the other side of the tracks. I've got the best news in the world for you tonight. This thing was not done in the corner. And they know about us. This world knows about us. They literally know that we exist. I became personal friends, at least in part, with a woman whose name is Carolyn Sunset. Carolyn Sunset was the liaison between Reagan and all religious movements in this country. She came to a women's conference where I was preaching in Louisiana 
She and I rode in the same limousine to the campground where I spoke and she spoke. And uh, I helped her in the front seat, closed the door for her, and I sat in the back seat. And it's incredible, people, it is incredible what's going on that we don't hear about. It is absolutely astounding. This is the most exciting hour that man has ever lived in. This is the greatest moment to be alive. She was rustling in her purse, trying to find lipstick. And all of a sudden she said, Ah, she said, we Pentecostals don't need this stuff anyway, do we? And I said from the back seat, Amen. (laughs) And she laughed. I had heard that she had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I was not totally convinced until while I was preaching, I heard her behind me speaking with tongues, and I turned, and she was waving her hands. She was on her feet, waving her hands, worshiping the Lord. I saw... I saw the instructions from the Washington, D.C. office that said as soon as she spoke, they were to escort her out and take her back to her hotel so she could rest. She would not leave the service. She stayed until the very end. She was there worshiping. She was there clapping. She was there singing. She was into it like we are into it. And later, she wrote me a letter, and she invited me to her office in Washington, D.C., and I went to Washington, D.C. once, and I, while I was there, I went to see her, and I was able to get in. We had prayer together in her office, but she told me something. We were discussing the Holy Ghost. We were discussing the government. She said, Reagan has three Bibles in his office, and they are worn. They are falling to pieces. She told me, she said, Pat Boone, you know who he is? Pat Boone called President Ronald Reagan, and he said, Ronald You need a personal advisor close to you who speaks with tongues. He said, because you need someone that can get directly through to God to help you make decisions. (laughs) Carolyn Sunset told me this. You know what President Reagan said? He said, I know it. They know about us. They know about us. They know about us. I understand that President Bush's wife has the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She has the Holy Ghost. And she has prayer meetings in her home where they speak with tongues. People, they know about us. And I understand that Bush, through through our own Brother Urshan and others, have said that he is very favorable to the apostolic Pentecostals. Do you know why? Because they desperately need someone in this hour that can lend them true spiritual support And there is nobody like a tongue-talking, baptized in Jesus' name, one God-believing child of God. There is nobody like us! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah, Jesus! Israel is outnumbered 40 to 1. There are 400 million Arabs, so-called, to 4 million Jews. And the Jews won the Six-Day War basically in a matter of hours at unsurmountable odds. There is a book entitled Young Lions of Judah by Mike Evans. In his book, he makes this statement. Before the Six-Day War, an old man went through the streets of Jerusalem prophesying exactly what would happen and on what day the conflict would begin. 
He said the God of Israel lives today and promised that he would be with Israel and his Jewish people through it all. The events that old man prophesied came to pass. God fought for Israel during the Six-Day War. Otherwise, with so many soldiers against us, we would never have won. After the war, some of my comrades told me that in the one area of combat, our forces had advanced so rapidly that they, over, they overran an Egyptian airfield in the Sinai Peninsula and were in full possession before the Arab allies could be notified. So when the unsuspecting Arabs phoned the field, offering to send in Algerian fighter planes, our man, a Jew, simply pretended to be an Egyptian officer and authorized the planes to land. Every one of those planes was captured without the firing of a shot. Shall I say it for you? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. But the most interesting story came from soldiers we captured during the Sinai campaign. We asked one, a veteran of the war between Egypt and Yemen, why he had given up the fight so quickly. He reported that he and his comrades had seen angels coming at them from the Israeli lines and had fled in terror back toward Egypt. God intervened on behalf of our tiny Jewish nation. I have another report that says the Arabs said we do not mind fighting the Jews, but there is a white light that hovers above their armies that takes the fight out of us. Did not King David say in his writings, in his singing, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. And so tonight... I am persuaded that the angels of God are in this building, that the angels of the Lord are in this room tonight, because the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Now get this. The Bible, the Bible uses the word encampeth. That means he comes in on the scene and he sets a tent up and he puts some stakes down and he sets up a residence and he is there to stay. The angel of the Lord does not just visit. He comes and encamps. He sets up housekeeping as it were near those that fear the Lord God Almighty. And so for the house of Israel tonight, the angels of the Lord are doing battle in the air for them. If God would fight for them who yet do not know him, what then would God do for a people who are called by his name, who are filled by his spirit, who reign in his glorious truth of here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. Oh, go ahead and shout, go ahead. And let your voice be heard tonight in this holy assembly.
I clipped this out. It's an article. I clipped this out. It says, a UPI report from Jerusalem tells of a recent dream the 90-year-old Rabbi Yisrael Abu Chatzariah of southern Israel had. He said he saw the Messiah born in a small house in his native Morocco. He has laid out a set of white clothes to wear to greet the Messiah and request his walking stick each morning to go out to look for him. Rabbi Mordechai Shabari of Jerusalem described a similar dream he had of the arrival of the Messiah. This was in the Jerusalem Post just a few weeks ago. One of the top rabbis right now in the rabbinate in Jerusalem says, don't worry about Saddam Hussein. Don't worry about gas masks. All of this is happening to usher in the coming of the Messiah. The leaders of Orthodox Jewry in this hour are saying that the world events are coming into place to usher in the coming of the Messiah. Now, if they are saying such things, what then should we be saying? If they are coming to grips with this, then something should happen in this church tonight that has never, ever happened before. Something needs to take place among us. A revelation, an understanding, an ecstatic excitement for the truth of the gospel that is being preached in this hour. People, if you ever rejoiced over being baptized in Jesus' name, you ought to rejoice over it tonight. If you have ever rejoiced over speaking with tongues, you ought to rejoice over speaking with tongues tonight. If you've ever rejoiced over the oneness of God, holiness and modesty, and the beautiful things of the Holy Scriptures, tonight is the night to rejoice. Tonight is the night to rejoice. May our worship be like the explosion of many bombs on the throne room floor of His Majesty, His Royal Majesty, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. May heaven's courts tonight resound with the echoes of our praise, the resounding glory that rises from human lips, glorified mudballs, if you please, who hail Him. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all how wonderful how wonderful such knowledge is too wonderful for me my soul takes wing my eyes weep my heart pounds my feet dance my hands clap my soul is ignited by the fire of revival in this hour that says I can hear the sound of the rushing mighty wind I can hear the crackle of cloven tongues of fire. Hallelujah! Jesus, I worship you, Lord of lords and King of kings. 
I bow my head to you. I lift my voice to you, Jesus. Thou art wonderful. You are real. You are tangible. What mercy is this? What grace is this? What a love story has the half ever been told? We tonight, we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. We're the most privileged people on the face of the earth. The Bible says, He has hidden these things to the wise and prudent. He has revealed them to babes. Can you imagine, can you believe that people like us understand what we understand? World leaders don't understand what we understand. They don't know what we know. If they understood and knew what we know, they would not act the way they do. They would not be so concerned. They would not be so discomfited. For example, when I was in Bible school in the early 60s, when I was first converted, I remember the big issue then was they were so fearful that that China and Russia would get together because they are both communist nations. There was tremendous fear that they would get together. And so all the politics played like, you know, some kind of a chess game, trying to skirt this issue, trying to make political moves to ever keep Russia and China from unifying into one large, shall we say, impregnable, impenetrable country. But if they'd only known the Bible, if they'd only known what we know, that nowhere in Bible prophecy are the kings of the east and the kings of the north ever mentioned together.